God, we are thankful this morning, thankful that uh, your son Jesus had a secret ambition, that he had a plan, and that as a result, we can have a restored relationship with you. We are thankful for that today. So God, today as we continue to look at the character of your son Jesus, may you uh, infuse that into us. Many of us here in this room, most of us here in this room want to be more like Jesus, so we invite you to come help us do that. In his name we pray, amen. Welcome, my name is Alan, uh, very glad that you're here with us. We're in a, uh, a year-long series called The Whole Shebang, and we're looking at, the, at different characteristics that God wants to infuse into us, and over in this part of it, we're looking at the person of Jesus. Nobody knew Jesus' secret ambition. Uh, they didn't even understand what he came to do, and what was going to happen on the cross. They just didn't understand that. In fact, most people were in opposition to him. The Jews, they were offended by him. Many of the Jews in leadership were offended by him. And many of the, uh, and the Romans, they were threatened by him because there were rumors of him being a king, and so they were either uh, uh, offended or threatened by Jesus. And the ones who followed him, his 12 disciples, and then hundreds and, and even thousands who, who followed him, they thought he was going to be a different kind of king. They thought he was going to be a king who was going to come and restore Israel. That he would come and, and, uh, and he, there would be a military and political uh, gathering around him, and he would restore Israel, and then he would live to be an old king. He would be protected in the palace, and then he would die the way all kings do, like the frog in Shrek. <clears throat> That's the way all kings are supposed to die. They're supposed to die in a comfortable bed with their loved ones around them, and then their, maybe their uh, uh, children who want to take over the role or whatever. I mean, that's the way all kings die. That's what they expected of him. And this, we see this glimpse in the section of Scripture that we're going to take a look at this morning. This morning we're going to look at a section in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way into your Bible. Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to spend our time today. And again, we see kind of what the, his disciples were expecting out of Jesus as the king. Just prior to, uh, uh, we're going to jump in in verse 20, just prior to this, Jesus explains what's going to happen in Jerusalem. It's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult. As we've talked about this over the past few weeks, this was a bold move for him to go into Jerusalem. He explains it to him again. And their response, verse 20, Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, you can see by this request kind of what was going on in, in their heads. That these sons, his, two of his disciples, James and John, they believed Jesus was going to be the king. And so they're peasants. They are just poor. They don't have anything. And they're thinking, one day you will be king. Things will be different. And I want to have a good spot. Okay, when you were the king, I just want to have a good spot because I know what a king looks like and I want to be part of that. You could just kind of see their misunderstanding of the kind of king Jesus became, Jesus was. Now, uh, I love in this story that, that 
these two boys had their mommy uh, come and make this request of Jesus. I just love this. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, this story is told where the two boys come up and do it. But because there's an added detail, I think this is the truth. I think this is really what happened. And I love that Scripture doesn't hide away from these parts. Mommy, will you please do this for us? Love it. Okay, Uh, the story continues, verse 22. Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the drink I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now it is true that these two did not fully know what it meant to drink from my cup. They didn't understand the sacrifice that were, they were going to have to give to be a follower of Christ, to be his disciple. But it is also true that they did end up drinking from his cup, and Jesus knew this. In other words, Jesus was going to have to die, and his disciples ended up dying as well. James, we find in the book of Acts, was the first disciple who was martyred. And then John, uh, it's... it's It's unclear as to whether he was martyred or not, but it's known that he was exiled to an island of Patmos, and he he had a pretty rough journey as a result of being a follower of Christ. And so they, they in fact, did suffer greatly, but they didn't understand it when they said, we can, oh yeah, we can do it. The story continues, and, and Jesus responds to the rest of the disciples who find out about the request of these two boys. Verse 24, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's the story we're going to spend some time with here this morning. And what I, what I think is so clear out of Jesus saying, I have come to be a ransom for many. He says, I have a plan. I have a secret ambition that I'm trying to unveil to you, but you won't fully understand it until later. Jesus was a visionary. He knew what he was coming here for, and he tried to uh, communicate this numerous times through Scripture. We find out so clearly he had a purpose. In the book of Luke, he quotes from Isaiah, and he says, I have come to set the captives free. He says, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He says in John, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. I have come that you may have life and life to the full, Jesus says. He's just trying to communicate in so many different ways that he has a plan that all this is moving towards a moment, a week, where Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. It's all moving towards that. Every teaching, every miracle, every healing he did is moving toward this moment. Now this morning, I imagine some of you are kind of thinking, the cross is, is kind of in the way a little bit. I mean, when I'm over here, I can't see a section of you there. That the cross is literally in the way. Maybe they weren't thinking when they thought, let's put the cross up during that song, but then Alan's going to have to teach after that. Well, that's part of the point this morning is that the cross should be in the way. It should be in the way of all our thinking, all our wrestling with God. 
So we're, we're thinking about uh, how this whole God thing works and how do we fit into it and what is the whole shebang and what is the whole plan. Any story that we encounter in the whole shebang, any part of this journey, should be, should be, be uh, should involve the cross. It should have the cross right in the center of it. Any character trait that we're hoping to infuse, that we're hoping to bring in to be a part of our journey, should have the cross at the very center of it. This is the point. Jesus had a plan. He had a vision. He had a secret ambition. Jesus had an agenda. Jesus had an agenda. Now that phrase, often, we use that in a negative way. Whenever you use that a phrase, well, he's, he, I think he has an agenda. You know, we say, I think that that commercial has an agenda. I think that salesman has an agenda. Well, of course they do. Of course they do. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to get your money. Of course they do. Everything has an agenda. You might even look at a butterfly and say, you know, every time you look at a butterfly, it looks like they just got their wings because they don't know how to fly. Whoa, how does this work? Whoa, no control, no control. They're just kind of flapping around. They look like they have no agenda, no plan. They're just flapping around. How do these things work? They have a purpose. They are here to pollinate, to help with the whole pollination process. Everything has an agenda. Even algae has an agenda. My, uh, uh, every Sunday morning, part of my routine is that I wake up early and I lay in bed and I just think through my message. I just lay and think through. It's kind of, Sunday morning is quiet time for dad. And this morning my five-year-old daughter came and uh, uh, crawled into bed with me uh, this morning and she uh, wanted me to come up and have breakfast with her. And I said, okay, Lila, how about you give me 10 minutes of quiet and then I'll come have breakfast with you. Okay, dad, that was the plan. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three. Dad, dad, dad. And my hope is she'll remember soon what the plan is. And she'll kind of give me my quiet time because I really need to kind of focus here. Dad, 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 doink, 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 doink. Dad, 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 dad. Everybody has an agenda. I mean, it's just... It's just part of what it means to do life. We have an agenda. Either we are intentional about our agenda or somebody else will set the agenda for us. It's okay to have an agenda. You notice Jesus' response to these two sons asking their mommy to make the request to be on the right and the left of Jesus. Jesus does not say, how dare you make such a request? How dare you? Jesus says, uh, halfway through... Verse uh, 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. He doesn't say, that's a terrible thing to want to be great. He says, here, let me tell you how to be great. In fact, having an agenda is not only okay, it's a good thing. It's a very good thing to be intentional, to have a plan, to have vision, to have an agenda. Dwight Eisenhower, who, of course, was the mastermind behind the invasion of France and Germany during the Second World War, he had this to say. We succeed only as we identify in life or in war or in anything else a single overriding objective and make all other considerations bend to that one objective. It is a good thing to have an agenda. Have you ever tried to learn a language? Have you ever tried to learn a language? Some of you are working on English. Good for you. But if you're working on, on a different language, 
Have you ever tried to learn a language? You can't do it unless you have a very clear purpose as to why you want to learn the language. It's not possible. If you're going to say, you know, in my life, I want to, I want to bungee jump and I want to learn Portuguese. Well, you're not going to. You've got to have a purpose, an agenda, a vision, a reason as to why you're going to learn it. Or it's not going to happen. Look at Marsh and his attempts to learn Italian. He's, a, he's terrible. <laughs> he's terrible. You've got to have a purpose. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Jesus had an agenda. So let me just be real up front with you. For those of you who've been around for a while, this is, this is going to be okay. Maybe if you're visiting or new or whatever. Mountain Park has an agenda. I have an agenda. Otherwise, why would I take any time to speak with you? I have an agenda. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to hide around that. We, we gather, uh, I gather with some pastors locally once a month. And this week, we were talking about, uh, one guy brought up his frustration with the consumer mentality within, within the church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. For those of you who don't, let me just kind of explain what this is. It's, there's, a, there's tension with regard to the consumer mind in the Western church. And the tension is this, that uh, many churches like Mountain Park, it's important for us to, to appeal to the consumer mindset, to appeal to uh, you and your friends and your coworkers and all that so that they could come, so that we could put on a, a decent show, if you will, so that there would be great music and children's ministry is great and student ministry is great and there is a parking spot for you and the seats are comfortable and the coffee is decent and the whole thing. That's, and we're intentional about that. But then what happens after perhaps six months or a year, and this, this isn't for you, it's more the 1045 people. It's really, it's really, <laughs> just keep that between us. It's more the 1045 people. But then after six months to a year, then there's, this, then there's this struggle for some because there isn't this thing that is offered or this program that is important to you. And then persons move on to the next show that's down the road. And so we appeal to your consumer mindset, and then we get frustrated when you act like consumers. Do you understand that kind of tension there? As we were talking about it, I was certainly joining in on the conversation. I was just feeling all the more uh, excited about the words that we have written in our lobby that we get lots of conversations about and people, what does this mean? Safe place to visit, a dangerous place to stay. I just really love that we're up front as a church with regard to what our agenda is. First of all, we want to be a safe place to visit. That we want this to be a comfortable, safe, non-judgmental, you don't have to believe what the person beside you believes, you don't have to believe what I believe. This is a safe place for us all to explore our faith. Absolutely. Uh, we did Easter a few weeks back, and, and uh, I know some of you, uh, probably more than 1045 folks again, but uh, some of you uh, didn't care so much about how we did Easter this year with the dancing bunny and the confetti and all that. And, and then every time the confetti loosens and then comes down, you go, oh yeah, that Easter thing, uh, or whatever. <laughs> and I know there's only like two or three of you, but, but I know there's some who, who didn't. Let me just tell you that the whole purpose around that is that we have many visitors at Easter, and our hope on Easter is that somebody, your family member, your friend would come and go, I didn't expect that. I didn't expect that. It's a little bit different than maybe what I grew up with or whatever. I'm more interested than I thought I would be in terms of who God is and what this whole Jesus thing is all about. 
I might consider coming back. That's the Holy Spirit's plan as far as whether that actually happens, but that's our intentionality. We want this place to feel normal. That's why we dress the way we do. It's why we talk the way we do. It's why I, I, I try so many bad attempts at humor. And if you've been here for a while, you know I'm way more interested in quantity than I am in quality. Just kind of keep on shooting. You just keep on trying. But there's, there's some intentionality about that. We have an agenda. But at the same time, I love that we say up front, this is a safe place to visit and a dangerous place to stay. Because our hope and our expectation is that if you are transformed by the power of God, if you get committed to and excited about God working in your life, you will be changed. You will be transformed. It's not a matter of staying comfortable and safe for three years of just hanging out here. That's not the plan. Change is a dangerous thing. It's, it's just dangerous to let go of some of the things that we want to hold so strongly to, to be challenged in areas that are difficult. We have an agenda. There's so many different ways to do life, so many different paths we can take in terms of how to do life. And for us, we believe the very best path in terms of how to do life is to surrender our lives to Christ. That the path that he invited us to, to, to follow Christ, to live as closely as we can to the person of Jesus, that is the very best path. That's what I want for myself, for my family, and that's what I want for you all. We, we have an agenda. It's okay to have an agenda. In fact, it's immature not to have an agenda. See, it's boys and girls go to college because they're told to. Because uh, they want to party and they want to find out who the John Belushi is of their generation. That's why boys and girls go to college. Men and women, however, they go to college because they have a vision of something that they want to become. They, they have an agenda. They understand that they must do things now in order to accomplish something in the future. They must do some things now that maybe they don't even want to do. Who wants to take chemistry, really? But they have to do it in order to move toward some of your chemists. I'm sorry. Uh, in or, they have to do some things now in order to become and accomplish things that they want to do in the future. There's a maturity to having a vision, having an agenda. And when I say boys and girls, I'm not talking about age. I mean, there are 40-year-old boys, and there are 17-year-old men. So I'm not just talking about age. Boys and girls don't want to work. They don't. They work because they have to. They work because somebody dangles a carrot in front of them. You want to get paid a little bit more? Okay, follow this, follow this. Uh... The, uh, Jesus gathers with the, with the 12 when the two make their request. And he says, he says in verse uh, 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Okay, The way they work is through authority and lording over. They do what they're told. That's the way it works over there. I've got something different for you. I want you to have a vision for your life, to have an agenda for your life. Some of you may remember the song, everybody's working for the weekend. You know, that's kind of a perspective of what work is all about. I'm just working for the weekend. That's the call of a boy, of a girl. That's the cry of a boy. 
Remember who sang that song? Lover boy. It's, it's not lover man. I mean, it's, it's, that's the call of a boy. Boys and men and women, however, they understand that work has a purpose. That there's something we get to accomplish during the day. Whatever it is that you do, there is something God wants to accomplish through you, not just to get through the day. This is what you spend the majority of your hours doing. It's, it can't be meaningless. Boys and girls, they just want to have a vacation. That the whole point of working is so that they can have a break. Men and women understand that the vacation has a purpose. That our recreation, our ways that we, that we revitalize ourselves, I mean, it's called recreation for a reason, for us to take time to recreate ourselves, to reinvigor ourselves so that we can work, so that we can do life, so that we can move forward with the purpose and the agenda and the vision that God has for us. Boys and girls have a goal in life to retire as early as they can. You retire at 55. That is the goal of life so they don't have to work anymore. Hallelujah. And then sometimes, you know, like right, right now with the recession, many are struggling because their retirement plan has been shattered and they're going to have to work a few more years or whatever. Men and women understand whether you get paid or not, whether you are, are regardless of your age, that we continue to work. Even if you're retired, there's so many things that God is inviting you and wants you to pour into the next generation. The goal is not to stop working. Men and women understand that there are so many different options, more options laid out before us. To have vision, have an agenda. Why do we wake up today? What am I trying to accomplish this year? So do you have a plan? Do you have a reason for what you do? Do you have an agenda? I think this story is about Jesus, a part of a version or a part of, of looking at the story is Jesus saying, I've got a purpose here. I've got an agenda. I want to model for you what it means to have agenda. I'm here to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm here to do. And I think in this story, Jesus gives us indicators as to how we are to have a vision and an agenda for our own lives. And we don't have to do what Jesus did. We do not have to die on a cross. He did that so that we don't have to do that. He did that as a ransom for us. But he also makes it very clear that whatever your journey is, it is about serving others. So clear here. He says that, that the Gentiles, they work, they're lorded over by others, and they just respond to what they're told to do. Verse 26, not so with you. Instead, however, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. In what way is your plan about serving somebody other than yourself? 
It doesn't matter if you are married or not married, you have kids, you're not kids, you are a volunteer with a nonprofit, or you are the vice president of some big company. In what way does your plan involve serving somebody other than yourself? In what way is this, the cross, a part of your agenda, a part of your vision, a part of your purpose? I mean, is your spirituality about coming to church or doing a small group or, or whatever so that you can be pumped up to just enjoy your life, to retire early and, and uh, vacation well and just enjoy waking up in the morning? Or is this a part of your purpose? Laying down your life for somebody else in small and large ways. This is a huge character challenge. I want to uh, just close tonight. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion in just a few moments and remember and celebrate this. But before I do that, I want to highlight one word, the very last word that Jesus says in this whole story. The very last word he says, I've come to give my life as a ransom for many. Not all, but many. See, not all choose the path of following Jesus. Not all accept the gift of Jesus as the ransom for our sins, these things that separate us from God. Not all will do that, but many will. And I do not want to miss an opportunity this morning as we continue to celebrate and learn about the Messiah I don't want to miss an opportunity for perhaps someone in this room who's not sure as to whether you are part of the many or not. If you are not sure whether you are one of the many, let me give you an opportunity to be sure about that today. And maybe you're saying, well, I go to church. Well, no, being one of the many means that we surrender our lives to the Lordship of Christ. It doesn't mean we have these character issues taken care of. Absolutely not. None in this room do. But it means that we're saying, in good and bad days, I follow Christ. I am a Christ follower. And so if you want to make sure that you are one of the many this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Would you just bow your heads? And if, if you want to make sure this morning that that's what you're looking for, what you need, then would you pray this prayer with me? You just say, Father in heaven, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die. I recognize that I cannot be reconciled to you through my own efforts. I choose today to follow Christ. I choose today to follow Christ. Father, for all of us here in this room, pray that you would challenge us to live life on purpose. That we would look at the way we're doing our family and the way we're doing work. And that we would not just skip over these experiences, but we would see them as something you want us to have an agenda for, have a purpose for, have a vision for, have a plan for. Would you come and inspire us today? 
Just as your son Jesus had such a clear plan, may we have a clear plan for the rest of our days. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.